Hi guys, welcome back to our Denise Lewis Backstreet Boys interview special. Last week we left you on a bit of a cliffhanger as Denise was about to enter Olympic year. In the second half we'll be talking about that along with her work for the BBC and important landmark moments like her meeting Dolly Parton. Hope you enjoy. Hi, it's KJT and you're listening to the Backstreet Boys. Next year, 2000, the big one, the one you've been building up to all this time. Again, like just injuries coming into it. Um, although you did set a new British record, didn't you, just before? Was it got this before? It was, it was Talence, yeah. Um, yeah, British and Commonwealth record, yeah. And interestingly about that competition, Charles had said to me, look, it's, let's just do this, this comp. You know, I was injured, so I couldn't do Gotsits. My preferred competition at the time would always be get one in May, spend time building up. But the uh, heptathlon or the Olympics were so late that we could afford to get, you know, to do Talence, which was, oh, I want to say end of June, maybe. I'd really worked hard that year, really. Again, the, the, the loss to Eunice was a, another a bitter, a bitter pill to take. Even though I had the injuries, I still really did believe I could beat her. And coming away um, with another silver, I just kind of scratched my head. I was like, what the hell do I have to do to to beat her? Um, and any others that might show up and uh, try to go for the gold next year. And so um, I worked hard. I really put in the hours. Um, Everyone knows that I didn't love 800. I wasn't the best at it, but I had really worked that year on, on my speed, my endurance and, um, and the lactic, uh, lactic system. And I felt finally I'd be able to sh- represent, you know, represent yeah. myself. You know, the injuries had been at bay, even though I wasn't ready for gotsits. I, um, I did feel like it was coming. And so competing in Talence, I put together a good programme, just before the eight, Charles was like, I know you're going to run well, but if you don't need to go for it, don't push it. Because I was putting down times and I thought, okay, finally, <laughs> finally, I'm going to run, you know, sub 210. You know, I could, I could feel that was in my, my system. I'd grown to love the event and understood that it may come down to the wire. It had been for so many years where there's just a matter of fractions of a second in it to determine the medal and I knew it would be the same way in Sydney and so I finally owned that event and just just used to go for it I remember start on that starting line not feeling sick for the first time in my life and uh ready to run ready to run and is this 212 was it you ran yeah I ran 212 but I could have run quicker that day <laughs> that was the day I could have run quicker um, I wasn't tired. Surprisingly, when you're fit, you, you, you're not tired. <laughs> um, and so Charles and I were really, really pleased, you know, because I think some people had questioned, okay, I got the medals, but the scores hadn't been... Yeah. They've been good, you know, six, seven, you can't sniff at that. But, you know, I felt that there was more in my tank. This is one where everything kind of came together on that day, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. Um, but, of course, by the time you get to the Olympics, you, and it seems everyone else, had injuries of some description um over those two days mm. which are kind of epic it didn't necessarily come down to who was the the best athlete it came down to the one who could like cling on the one who could who could get through it you know that your big rivals um, Garda Shura, Rita and Nancy dropped out after the first yes. event um Eunice dropped out after the long um long jump on the second day you had been going decently you know you had like niggles and things but you had a major injury during the long jump your foot just fell apart basically what actually happened to your foot 
I, I don't know. I think it was all the, the, the weeks and, you know, the couple of months of strapping and whatnot. But my foot just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Had enough. Um, yeah, I couldn't put my, my foot down after the long jump. Um, I was like, what the hell now? What, what could possibly be going on with my foot now? And so we had some anxious moments between the long jump and the, 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 the javelin to work out whether I was even going to f- continue. Because you'd had a disastrous high jump. So, like, you'd, you'd um, skipped a height, hadn't you? So you'd, you'd done 75, skipped 78, yes. missed 81, which is, like, mm. the high jump's such a high-scoring event. So that's kind of, even if you'd done 81, we're talking sort of 50, 60 points you'd sort of almost thrown away. You know the second day's your best day. Mm-hmm. And then to have an injury on the first event, a very good event for you, the long jump, did you think it was all over then? It wasn't a, at that stage... I wasn't thinking about anything being over. I was just thinking, what is my test here? What is my emotional test here? What, what am I supposed to be taking from all, all this thing that's happening to me and that has, happening, has happened over the last few months? You know, it was deeper than that. It was really deeper than that for me. So I was a bit, probably a bit numb. I've obviously been, I've obviously been allowed to get to this far because it was quite easy for me to just call it a day before going to Sydney, uh, before travelling yeah. to those Olympics in Sydney, um, and so I just let my team do it, the work. I just said, look, I, I'm, I don't want to quit. I don't want to be out of this thing. I've worked so hard to be here. Fix me, and. You know, Kevin Lidlow, uh, the British team, and some obviously I had um, a, a Dutch counterpart as well you know physio doctor they were all frantically scratching their heads about what could be done whether to inject the foot um make another strapping but everything just seemed to hurt um and i I just said no no injections i I don't know what that would entail and how that would make me feel whether i'd feel the foot at all and so they were just trying to free the foot up take away some of the, the pain and work out what best strapping could could support the bone that had been obviously flared up or, or fractured. I've got a question here from Jack Perryman. Um, he said, did Eunice Barber's injury and withdrawal after the long jump in Sydney change anything in your mind? Um, so when you're, when you're in the middle of a heptathlon, are you conscious of what's going on with the other athletes? Or are you just like in the zone? You know what's going on because she um, came over to me in the long jump shook my hand and said um and I obviously said oh my gosh you know I'm I'm sorry that you're withdrawing and she said go and get that gold that's all that's all she said to me what were you sorry she was withdrawing yeah I mean you don't want to see an athlete withdraw you don't want to see you know the rivalry is what you thrive on rivalries are what gives you the energy it what it's what allows you to look for those marginal gains and that 1% extra in your training in those yeah. winter months. It's the an- an analysis of what has gone on before of your competitors and of yourself to allow you to be better. So, I, you know, you don't want to see your, your rival go out like that. You know, it's, that's not what sport is for me. If you want to win, you want to win beating the best, don't you? You um, do. You, you want... don't necessarily want an easy win. No, you don't. You want to be beating the best... Um, and you want to beat the heptathlon because it, that's what it does to you. You see in the men's decathlon, people get hurt, you know, in, in the course of those two days. You know, it's it's tough on the body. It's tough t- training. It, it, it is what it is. So for me, it was not about her. It was about me. It was about my journey and what my destination was going to be like. 
I think this particular competition is so such a good example of like not quitting about mm. why you should like just knuckle down and, and get on with it because people were falling all around you, you know, and you you stuck it out. You actually threw three three javelin throws. You I think you went in thinking you were just going to throw one. Yeah. Uh, your first one was decent, but not good enough so you did a second one which was over 50 meters and that third one was a fail not as far was it It wasn't as far but um it was enough to put you into the lead going into the 800 meters and you knew you just had to sort of cling on basically at that point it was set up as me versus barber barber versus me but in heptathlon you never know who's going to come out of the woodwork and you never know who is going to come and have the the day of their life you know and that was happening for prokhorova she was a young russian and she was having a, a great couple of days. It, it isn't a, about people falling away. You know, you know, we even talk about Dina in the 200 metres uh, last yeah. year. It isn't about that. It's about can you rise to the occasion? Can you deliver your performance when it counts? It doesn't matter about who else is there. Um, once you're in the record books, once you're in the history books, that's all that matters because it is part of your journey. And... I see those championships as a culmination of everything that I'd been through to get to that point, to be in with an opportunity. Um, so I deserved that opportunity in my mind, you know, the, the injuries, you know, and nothing was plain sailing for me. So why the hell would I expect Sydney to be plain sailing? It wasn't going to be. That's not my life. It's not my journey. When you crossed the line in the 800 metres becoming Olympic champion. Um, how does that feel? That's, that's your whole life up to there, up to that point. You've just done everything you wanted to do, but at that point, you just, you just exhausted. <laughs> you just, you just, you just like, fuck, that's over. <laughs> uh, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like that. And I think more so when you have had the, the trials and tribulations that I had, um, the, you know, as I said, I just wanted a break. I just wanted to my body to perform for me because I knew, knew that mentally I had given everything. I tr- learned my lessons. I was a good student in the end of my sport. And I, I just thought when I crossed that line, it's like, Jesus, you, you, you believed you stuck at it. Even when the things around you were not great, you stuck at it and you've got it. So it's a sense of relief, a sense of relief. And again, you know, turning to my left as I crossed the line, taking in everything, seeing my mum, it was just a moment. It was just a real moment where I could just say, yeah, mum, all those, that energy, that worrying about what would become of me. Um, this was my dream. Where do you keep your gold medal? I'm going to tell you that on the pod. Okay, just in case anyone's going to break in. No, you just never know. I'd, if I had an Olympic gold medal, I'd basically wear it. 24-7. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? They're, it's an amazing thing, even though I do have, I do have medal envy, you know. So, so Sydney medals are like, you know, you've got to get your magnifying glass out to look at it. Yes, it's so true. <laughs> yes, and now, so true. And now, come 2008, 2012, they've just got bigger and bigger. Yeah, huge, They're like they? gongs, you know. But the value's there, you know. It was a bit strange. They made you do the um, middle ceremony that night with like, everyone leaving the stadium. That's very weird. Horrible, horrible. You know, I just it just doesn't feel like it was not a, a fitting end to yeah. um, a championships uh, and and uh, 
an event that is so difficult you know there was talk that it was going to be postponed because we finished so late um that it was going to be postponed to the next day people had been waiting because there was some delay as well wasn't there? i can't even remember what why we were so late anyway but um no they then proceeded and the stadium was bloody almost empty apart from the british fans who all uh, stayed of course loyal british fans were there I've got a question from Juliet Sohn on, um, on Instagram who said, um, I would love to know how Delise celebrated after her Olympic win. Oh, not immediately. Uh, I didn't because I was in a, a room with, uh, or a house with uh, Donna Fraser, Marcia again, um, and they were still competing. They still had relays. Uh, so I had to be quiet. I had to just kind of, you know, get through all the interviews the next day. It was quite a quiet moment. Um, I slept with my medal on, actually. <laughs> kind of staring at it on my pillow, my new best friend, my new love of my life. And um, yeah, just kind of held that in for a couple of days. Then we had a little bottle of champagne in the room with my girls. Um, and then I got hammered one night. Can't remember who <laughs> were, Started drinking some shots down one of the local hotels. So yeah, it did get messy, but I had fun. Um, you certainly had fun afterwards because you come back from the Olympics with an Olympic gold medal and you're suddenly like a, a huge star. Again, nominated for the Sports Personality of the Year Award. Again, you came second. Um, this time you didn't mind. It was to, to Steve Redgrave. That's fine, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Um, but you were invited to the Brits, the BAFTAs, the MOBOs, um, all these kind of glamorous things. You, you also, most importantly, I think, um, you went on Parkinson and met Dolly Parton. Uh, so. There you go. I mean, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I should have retired right then and there. You know, Dolly... She was just so awesome. You know, she had um, star quality, a presence and a warmth, an absolute true icon. You know, she just had this warmth and humility about her and she signed her little um, black and white picture to me. I will always love you. It was so lovely. It was so sweet. That's better than Olympic gold medal. Right there. Um, but going into the next year, in 2001, you know, you went to the Worlds, but didn't actually, you, you didn't, you pulled out before it happened. And it was kind of really unfair, I thought. You got into coming through quite a bit of stick from the media who'd said that you had, you know, spent too much time partying after the Olympics and not enough time training, etc. And I always think, like, turn it in. You've, you've won an Olympic gold medal. You deserve as much time as you like off, you know. You don't, you don't owe us another, another um, championship. So... I think you said it was more mental rather than physical. Maybe you're 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 pulling out of um of Edmonton. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was. I I, I knew I was already in the doghouse from because I was supposed to have had surgery that winter because the foot was really bad, really bad. And my 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 doctor said, you know, don't go on holiday. Come back to Holland, and we need to really look at this foot. Remember, I said I was headstrong at the beginning. <laughs> Well, I said, mm, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go on holiday. I'm going to Jamaica and I'm going to have some fun. And, um, and I, I don't feel I want to sit for the next several months rehabbing. That's all I've been doing this year. It was rehabbing. Yeah. And so there was, there was logic to my thoughts. I did that at that time I just had enough of the physio bed just didn't want to do it um and so that delay um went on then Charles was like are you are you are you coming back what are you doing are you starting training again I'm like well yeah yeah well 
I am. And, and that, that was a mistake, actually. I think from the get-go, I should have taken that year off. Um, Charles was disgruntled. He was not happy with me. Um, my foot was still really bad. Um, so when I started training again um, and really trying to put the, the, the pressure in and the hours in, my foot kept breaking down kept breaking down. Um, I couldn't high jump, literally couldn't jump. I couldn't take off on that foot. It was like flat. It was almost like, you know, um, is it Space Jam uh, with, with Michael <laughs> Jordan? And, yeah. and the, the aliens take out um, the superpower, the um, ability to play basketball. It was like someone had taken my ability to jump in my foot. I, I was like flat as a pancake. It's like my foot is dead. But you think that was psychological rather than um, physical? No, that was definitely physical. That right. was physical. I, you know, I try and do my approach and I could not feel my foot at all. Couldn't take off. Uh, it was almost like I couldn't extend. Um, and, you know, I was like, how, how am I supposed to compete with no feeling in the foot? I couldn't run. I used to start running and then the foot would, would just just give me nothing back. No responsiveness at all. And that was what I was juggling with. And my pride, you know, you got that whole pressure of, as you said, the media going on about the fact that I I was partying too much. Well, I did what any normal person would do, celebrate your, your victory. Um, my mistake was I shouldn't have had, I should have had surgery. I should have taken the year off. But then my pride was like, you know, you are Olympic champion. It's expected that you will go to the world championships and yeah. do what you're supposed to do for queen and country. And basically I shouldn't have. And so I was very frustrated, very embarrassed, the fact that I couldn't move, I couldn't do stuff and still got on the plane. I mean, how stupid was that? I remember waking up one morning and saying to myself, I'm, I'm just not feeling this. I'm not feeling this. And so they called in the, the team um, sports psychologist had my um, technical director, talked to so many people. And I just, as the, the few days, as the days got closer to the competition, I was like, mm, how am I supposed to compete feeling like this? I just have yeah. nothing. I don't feel anything. What would you say was your biggest regret um, in your career? Would, would that be it? Definitely. Definitely. Is that not, not competing or is it going in the first place? You think you shouldn't have gone... <sighs> I think I should have competed. I shouldn't have gone, that's for sure. I should not have been there. Had I had someone to go to at the time and talk about how I was feeling, maybe I wouldn't have been there at all. But competing, there's always that element of you never know. You know, Charles went down to the track that morning because I was still there on the first day of the competition, sitting in my room. I didn't leave my room. I was just waiting to, I just like, I want to get out of here. I couldn't get a flight from Deadmonton. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think Barbara had three no throws in the shot put. Yeah. So talk about compounding the problem. I was just like, yeah. ah! you know. Interestingly, you of all people, after the um, 2000 Olympics, know what it's like when, like, anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen, can't it? And Prokhorova ended up winning, didn't she? Yes, she did. was yeah. second, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and it wasn't a great quality competition. In fact, it felt a bit flat, I remember, because all the big names had kind of fallen to one side. You maybe should have, but it's too late. You, you, listen, you've got your Olympic gold. It's like, it's not... Yeah, but that's... Yeah, but, yeah, you know, you, an athlete doesn't think like that. 
they think about what they spend time probably thinking about the things that they could have done better the medals they could have won rather than actually all the things that they've achieved and I know I, I fall victim of that sometimes definitely when people have been competing for many years they finally get what they've been after all this time be it you know world championship or, or olympic um, gold medal even if it's just like a two percent less um commitment um going forward after having achieved what you wanted do you think that happened at all to you after after 2000 2001 you dropped out 2002 you had your first baby which is a, yeah. obviously a big big accomplishment in itself um 2003 you came fifth um and so like the, the peak of your career definitely was the Olympics and it never, you never kind of came back to your best after that. Do you think there was, was that just injuries or do you think something in the back of your mind was like you'd, you'd kind of reached all your goals? No, it definitely wasn't that. It wasn't the latter. Um, maybe other eyes on the outside would probably perceive it that way. But in my head, it wasn't the case. Um, you know, my coaching setup um, dissolved, wasn't the same for me looking back you know people would rave to be fifth in the world um but obviously when you've been an olympic champion and being number one in the world it's not a nice feeling it was felt very lonely but um no i was still as determined i still you don't train twice a day you know six days a week to to not be committed um i was just had a lot of other issues going on as well it didn't change my focus of what I, I wanted. Um, I still believed that I, I could go to another Olympics and do well. I just needed, I just needed a healthier body and I needed, you know, just the, the choppy waters just to, to be a bit more calm. But in my commitment and my drive wasn't, wasn't in question, I don't think. It's very easy when you're sat on your settee at home um, to assume that people, you know, whatever it is, that isn't going right. But we don't know what's, what's actually going on in, in people's lives. And obviously there's often all kinds of stuff that there's no reason why we should know about. So, of mm. course, people jump to conclusions, don't they? Especially the press, you know, they'll, they'll jump to, they'll, they'll just put what they, what they want to believe rather than the truth. So it's interesting for you to say that it wasn't, you know, lack of commitment. There was just other stuff going on and, you know, maybe it just wasn't to be, which is often the case in, in yeah, sport, isn't it? Ex- exactly. You know, my world was changing in, in different ways, um, but not my my commitment, my drive, um, my strength levels were, were still good. I just, that left foot, again, regret, it comes back down to that foot was, uh, it spent a lot of time being strapped up from sort of 97 onwards. In fact, I, I used to, I got that good at strapping my own foot that's how bad my 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 foot performed at times um and it just i think it just had it, my foot had had enough you know it should have been i should have had the surgery but i could never say my my mind was not in the game you know i still saw there was opportunity just couldn't have predicted there would be a cluft to to come and deal with <laughs> of course, but, yeah. but a cluft in your sport needs a healthy body um so you went to Athens, which is where Jody first first met you. Yes, um, yeah. Got a question here from Steve Pryor. Now, Steve Pryor also comes from Wolverhampton, so he wanted me to say hello. Hi, um, he's an absolutely obsessive heptathlon fan, so he knows the mind. <laughs> he, he knows more than you do that. The minute sure details <laughs> about who was doing what and when. Um, so he sent me a whole lot of questions. I said I can't ask them all, Steve. I'll do my ask best. Ask them all. Um, why not? Don't say that. He's going to hear this and he's going to like be on the phone to me. Her swan song in Athens 2004, unfortunately, didn't go to plan. Mm. She withdrew after the long jump. 
If she had equaled her season's best in the long jumps and javelin throw, she would have probably come in fourth. A commendable and impressive achievement in the circumstances. Do you regret withdrawing at all? Yes. Next. That's one question. <laughs> no, that's I'm, I'm allowing. I'm allowing you to ask all of Steve's questions because I love when the expert, uh, the the committed diehard fans want to know something. So yeah, okay. he's this, right. This, of this course is, you would. This is great. He's going to be so excited. All right, here we go. They don't have to be, don't have to be long answers. Yeah. The current scoring tables are favoured towards the speed-based athletes and disproportionately reward certain events. Thrower-type athletes like yourself are at a disadvantage. Are you in favour of changing the scoring tables? I think high jump is too weighted. That's yes, what I, I do think. It's, it's disproportionately too high compared to anything else, even, even the hurdles and, and 200. I mean, it just blows everything else out of the water. Um, that does need addressing because it's reflective of a time... Um, when people were throwing and jumping ridiculously high and big, I just sure. think when they they should have levelled off or had a re-examination of of the current 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 climate current climate of of, of, of performances. But then again, you know the throwers are getting better, aren't they? The heptathletes are, are throwing better generally. A lot of fifty meter throws. Yes, there are. Are you in favour of the women's decathlon being introduced? And if not, why not? <gasps> oh. Mm. I, I thought about it. I have sort of flopped and changed about that. But, you know, there was an argument that uh, having both decathlons on at the championships would would cause problems with the, with the actual programme. Um, as there have been some changes to how, particularly the, the um, World Athletics are just restructuring timetables. Like dragging them out across, across the whole month. <laughs> yeah, the whole month. Is it only a month? <laughs> uh, um, I just don't know whether there is an appetite for, for that, really. You know, the, the, the sport is trying to um, streamline, for want of a better word, yeah. the sport. Um, short sharp quick in and out seems to be the, the the new norm so i just don't know whether there would be a case for decathlon at a championships um i think if if uh, women fancy trying it elsewhere then why not listen if i got injured as much as i did just training seven events so goodness knows what i'd be like with with another three events throwing something like the pole vaulting you know would be like a really really big big problem but i've always thought there's nothing to say what the 10 events need to be. I, I, I think that men and women should be equal across the board. So yes. I think that either either the women should have to do the decathlon or the men should have to do a noctathlon, you know, yes. something in the middle. Yeah. I think they should be the same. But I just don't... I think that you could change it so the women still have to do 10 events but not make it like throwing a, uh, a pole vault in could be... Could, could change it for a generation, couldn't it? But there's plenty of other events you could mix and match and make it up so they'd still do 10 events. Uh, yeah, you could. I mean... It, it, Again, there's this uh, appetite for change, isn't there? I don't know who's winning at the moment, whether the traditionalists are winning or that need to, to change. But yeah, you're right, why not? You could throw in a, a different, different event, but then someone would be complaining somewhere. You know, of course, they? yeah. <laughs> it would. It'd be easier to throw in a running event. That's actually the easiest thing to do. I mean, pole vault takes so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, food for thought. But not opposed to it, but I can't see it happening in the championships. I wanted to ask you about um, about Kat, about KJT. Mm. Um, 
what you had to do back in 97, you know, change coaches is what Kat's just had to do recently. She probably just needed to do that thing to go to the next level. Um, and it's it's worked, you know. Um, you were quite instrumental in helping her there, were you? you, did, you did you go to France with her or something, did I read? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I went, I went with, with Kat. Um, again, this was born out of my own experiences um, as an athlete, feeling lost, confused, um, no one to really talk to and how that manifests all the, the seeds of negativity and uncertainty. And, you know, the sport doesn't wait for you to make decisions. It keeps moving on. Yeah. You know, that competition date does not change just because you're having a bad, uh, bad moment. I didn't want to see that happen to someone who is so, so damn talented. So, you know, it was like, let's, let's talk about this. I don't care what everyone else is saying. Let's talk about this. I'm, I want to help you. And, you know, I give you my advice. You don't have to take it. But we need to get you sorted and, and quickly. And then once I've given you the cards, the decision is yours where to go and what to do. I have a question here. Does Kat now have the confidence and ability to beat TM in Tokyo and in the right conditions score over 7,000 points? I think she has the confidence. That's for sure. She really, really does. Um, and I, I do think... You know, it's about a reset button for, for all the athletes, isn't it? You know, you've got to yeah. reset, refocus and, and go again. Um, parameters, <laughs> the, 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 the years change, the number has changed at the year, but, it, the, you know, the incentive, the drive, she still wants to become Olympic champion. Um, and the only, only time will tell, you know, where that, that destination of the gold medal will lie. But she's ready and readiness is everything. You can't predict what the body's going to be like, but being mentally ready to, 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 to rise to the occasion, I think is all you can give an athlete. Some I've seen many athletes not be ready. They're talented enough, but not ready, but she's ready. You could just tell just the difference mm. in her, her demeanor. You know, it's as simple as that here watching on TV from home. You can just see the difference in, in her, you know, she just seems happy to be out there. She's like, Smiling, yeah. you know, which is something you, we didn't really see. You know, she obviously felt that she had the weight of the world on her shoulders, and now she's out there enjoying herself. Yeah, you you see a lot, and that's the the fortunate position when you are a tra able to travel to the competitions. I watch the obviously the events as they unfold, but I'm watching the bits in between. I'm watching the dialogue or the interplay between coach athlete. I'm watching the warm up and already in the warm-up and how she was conducting herself in the high jump in the shot put in particular um when she's actually on her feet doing drills i was like okay girl yeah you got this <laughs> and so i was so ready to see what she was going to produce and ah i just it's just such a nice feeling just to watch someone blossom and grow and really own that moment and own the situation it's 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 there for her it's there and also having that rivalry with tm i think is really important because it means they're going to push each other and they've got kind of quite different skills sets haven't they so it's always re it's really exciting for us to watch yeah they have they have uh, a lot of similarities but a lot of, of of differences as well and um it's very difficult to to sit here and predict you know which way it could potentially go i think tm has lot, got a lot to prove as well since you retired of course we know you best from your punditry on the BBC which you've been doing for 2009 so like over, yeah. over a decade now Christ. is that something you you sort out or did they come to you how, how did it how did that start off they came to me actually um 
I've been doing something, some few bits and pieces regionally uh, back in the Midlands, traveling from London and just uh, working with the Midlands Today team. They sought me, joined the team, didn't possibly think it would be sort of 10 years um, of, of growing and learning on the job. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's um, as I said, it's still a, a privilege to be able to watch the sport from a different angle. But it's, it is interesting how just having those letters behind you, BBC, people forget that I'm, I'm an athlete at heart, you know, that I'm an athlete first. I care about what happens on the track to our, our athletes. Um, I think sometimes there's a view that you're critiquing unfairly, but sometimes you, you only get to see what you see. Um, yeah. Athletes aren't always, and rightly so, because I've been there too, not wanting people to know the backstory to a lot of things. So I, I get all of that. I do get all of that. There's been a lot of um, cases over the years where they brought people in famous athletes into the BBC, not just the BBC, you know, to do commentator media description, but haven't really necessarily given the, the training. Um, did you feel that you came in prepared or was it a bit like um, thrown in, in at the deep end? How about hold your nose, close your eyes and jump? It was a bit, <laughs> it was a bit like... Why does everybody say this? Everybody says the same. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, God love them. But, you know, it was the case for the first year, you think... Well, I've been invited back next year, so it can't be that bad. Or, yeah. you know, you're just waiting for some sort of feedback or, you know, that no, that wasn't right. Or, you know, you need to let this breathe. You need to do something. It was literally like rabbit in the headlights that first good few years. And I would say Colin was golden. Colin Jackson has been golden because he literally held my hand and taught me through some of the paperwork but no right. one teaches you really that, about how to how the how bit which is the crucial bit it's really strange that you know there's kind of an assumption that if you've got a gold medal you're going to be good on tv for some reason and mm. you would think the bbc or anyone doesn't have to be the bbc but anyone doing this would have some kind of training scheme or something you know we've done a bit of this not like the same but like we're in mixed zones talking to people all the time mm. and often you don't know you can't talk coherently about it because you didn't necessarily see it you know it's, it's like well, you've, you've just been told a bit of information you've got to speak to someone about it but you don't know don't really know what's going on um but you've you've really settled in you know I think you're kind of an invaluable um part of that team now because you cover so many areas there's so many things that you you know about that you wouldn't do if you'd only um, done one event I, th I think so um I just think that you have to to accept your position, who you are, what you bring to the table and be be confident with that. You know, we've got a lot of very strong personalities in that team. Yeah. Um, a lot of experience in the team and and so you just you've just got to try and own your space um and trust and believe in what you your own opinions. They're your opinions. Every individual is unique, everyone is different, and so you've, you've got to bring something to the party. I had a question here from Tim the Jab. He says, what's the most spine-tingling moment that you've witnessed live? <gasps> God, spine-tingling moment. Oh, Christ. There's been too many to mention. Because you're there, you've got like, the best seat in the house. I have it's the like, best seat um, in the house. You get to see absolutely everything. So which is the one that really sticks out oh, in your memory of being there? that's not fair, really, that question. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, if you're in, in the, at the London Olympics, you know, oh, the, the Mo moments, 
uh, the Jess moments. Oh, Christ. I'm just thinking Bolt, 2009. You know, those are my first championships, and I'm just like, yeah. what? <laughs> I was at that one as well, so yeah. I remember being set there going, like, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Michael Johnson's, you know, 1932. Yes. I mean, you know, Wade Van uh, Niekirk. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Where do you draw the line? Where? Where? I mean, I love javelin, so there have been loads of javelin moments, you know, the nip and tuck of the javelin unfolding. Yeah. Oh, man. Jonathan Edwards, his world record. Oh, you've been there for all of them, haven't you? Oh, dear. So you, you, you can't just pick one. It's, it's hard. We've had such success in the heptathlon in this country. Um, going all the way back to Mary Rand, Mary Peters, mm. um, Judy Simpson yourself of course and then the new wave you know from from um kelly to jess to to, to cat when you see like jess winning the world olympics cat win the world do you does that have a special sort of place in your heart yeah absolutely you know i can conjure up jess on the podium in its instant with the national anthem playing in that almost ethereal way they put a little spin on the the anthem of that those championships and her little face oh my gosh I felt I just I could just cry, just how her her world and that moment changed forever, you know. So that's that was a beautiful moment, and and seeing Kat grow into the world champion that she probably didn't even believe she could become. She probably did when she first burst on the scene, but you know yeah. she lost that confidence in her ability and and wanting that break for herself, and so to see her claim the indoor title and then just go and ramp right through these championships like she's the boss um it's just been amazing just really really exciting to see just quickly going back to the bbc for a minute you you, you must be aware that the criticism bbc coverage comes in for um i, I don't a real... listen to it i, I oh, really i don't but because if you do you'd never be able to open your mouth well, it wasn't, more, wasn't so much you. Because it, it does it does become very personal sometimes, as you can imagine. Yeah, I wasn't really meaning that. I wasn't oh, meaning okay. criticism of, of, of you, yourself. Right. What I was meaning is um, there's a big um, difference between what the hardcore fans like myself and yes. other people want to see yeah. compared to what the BBC feels it needs to show mm. um, for the more average viewer, you know, yes. and that is kind of probably a, a, a big difference there. Do you think they get the, the balance right? Because I hear and see what goes on to to listen to the audience um, versus trying to showcase our stars because sometimes I think people can get caught up with actually people only want to see our medalists performing Um, but I think I think it's changed a lot in the last couple of years I think there's been a real need to say okay how can we do this better and that is something that not every broadcaster will sit down and do um, and say, let's change it up. And I think BBC Sport have. They really have said, okay, our fans and people that watch athletics, they want to see field event action. They want that story told. They want to get involved in the the drama of, of the nip and tuck, as I talked about, which you can only, I think you only get with field events, you know, the drama of what track and field is about is the field events. It changes in the blink of an eye. Um, and they've started producing that. They really have. And it, meant, it has meant a compromise in other areas. Um, 
but athletics is not easy to cover. There's so much no, going absolutely. on. There's yeah. so much going on. And you cannot do, well, not do justice, but you can't bring everything live. The live action is happening every nanosecond. Something is going on from one end of the arena to the other and everything in between. And so if you pick one, it's like toss a coin, let's pick one then you've missed something going on to the left of you. So it isn't easy to cover. And, um, but I, I'm, I would like to say, I, I think I've seen a lot of change. Um, so hopefully the fans feel like their voices have been heard finally. I'm so <laughs> pleased you say that because can I just say, and this is me speaking as a, obviously a huge athletics fan, but this is, I think, pretty much through everyone I speak to, all the people we know, we have noticed and we really, really appreciate that. If you can, if you can feed that back, because the the issue wasn't. You know, we're always so so pleased that the BBC shows much athletics as they do. You know, we're it's not like any other place in the world. You know, you go to other places and you sometimes you're at a championship and you want to watch something. If you're not in the stadium, you just can't. It's mm. on some weird station somewhere. We are so so grateful the BBC do what they do what they do. Our issue was always chat versus action. You know, so we don't mind people chatting. We want to hear what you've got to say, but can you please do it? when there's nothing going on and yeah. that there has been a huge huge difference um Doha was amazing Doha was brilliant there was that weird time frame because you had that gap in the middle there was weird yes. it was weirdly timed wasn't it and instead of stopping you actually had like an hour and a half or two hours in the middle that's right um that's where you put the chat in you talk talked about stuff there we want to hear what you've got to say yeah, we sure. just don't want to hear what you've got to say when we can see something going on over your shoulder mm. <laughs> like, just show us the shot put um yeah. there has been a big big change it really feels like someone was has been listening well that's really pleasing i mean in fact it's how it should be and you know at every level we want those synergies to work our fans are important um as you said getting athletics broadcast and not losing that airtime is critical um just as it's so important that, you know, the governing body hears its athletes and the members within it, you know, we need it to make athletics a bit more of a fun place to be um, and like, everyone enjoying what is such a, a great sport in the first place. We've got so much to look forward to next year when we can finally see it. Yes. Um, Storm in Norman 92 asks, <laughs> That's a great name. Who, are your, <laughs> who are your top three athletes you're most excited about on the international scene? Oh most excited about i mean gosh where do you start i'd like to see if wade wade van niekirk will come back absolutely we were talking about that the other week yeah absolutely really i mean it just feels it's such a tragedy when somebody lights up the world as he has uh and then to be um you know befallen by injury um yeah just tough love to see him come back and see what he's got to offer and of all people, he may, may be the one who's going to um, make the most of, of not having this year. So an extra year for him is going to be definitely useful, isn't it? Completely, completely. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just the way it is. There'll be some people that will be affected in a, not in a positive way by that delay. Yeah. You know, people that had probably thinking of calling it a day, but had pushed on for one more year just because it was the Olympics. And that happens so often across the sports that another year of training on the body might just be a step too far. Absolutely. Um, but hopefully, um, you know, Wade can come back nice and strong and uh, deliver. And are there any, like, um, youngsters, any juniors, any up-and-coming athletes who you're really excited to sort of see over the next few years? 
Oh, I know you're going to think this is a bit of a, a lame one because I do love my event. I'm sorry, I do. But <laughs> <laughs> we've already seen a glimpse of her, Neve Emerson. I, I just think she's she's just a breath of fresh air. Um, I'd like to see how she comes back post again injury. She she left the sport um, at such a high. You know, yeah. she was so good at uh, the Gold Coast 2018. Um, yeah, just. Uh, unfortunate that she couldn't just back that up again with you know injury before uh, got the better of her and her knee um but it'd be nice to see how she comes back and again benefiting from the rest of this year being being uh being a washout i don't think there's a lame answer at all i 100 percent agree with you i think uh, probably all of us here on the bachelor boys would say the same um she's so excited she? and just follows keeps on our tradition you know that that's the thing i love you know it just it just never stops um i was speaking to um Oh, well, I think we were speaking to, to Kat like a, a while back and we were saying that the heptathlon is Britain's most successful ever event in athletics, really, if you count up the... Um, well, taking out like the earlier Olympics, taking out <laughs> yeah. the 1920s or something. But, you know, we've just had this consistent, consistent top-level um, competitors, uh, which, of course, you're at the very pinnacle. Now, the one thing I got asked the most questions about, mm. yeah, I think it's fair to say it's probably the most iconic moment of your career. Um, certainly the thing that we've got the most pleasure from. Um, I know that you are known through it throughout the athletics world and our fans love it. Um, this is the Denise Lewis heptathlon game on the BBC <laughs> website. Yeah. yeah. So many questions. So, um, first of all, Chris Barrow says, have, have you ever played the Denise Lewis heptathlon game? If so, what's your top score? And did it help as a training aid? Baza, I'm going to disappoint you now. Because um, I've never, no! I've never played it. No, no, Denise, I know, I'm, I know, I've broken a lot of hearts right now. Um, <gasps> I understand, <sighs> I, I totally understand. But you know what? I know I've given so much to a lot of people with that game. Um, some people may have failed exams. I understand that too. Um, but think about all the fun you had playing, skiving <laughs> off your lessons, and, and I seriously. <laughs> Back in the day when it first came, and I can't work out what year it came. It was it sort of early, early noughties. It was before like computers were like everywhere yeah. anyway. I didn't have a computer. I used to go to internet cafes and play it. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I would sometimes be there till like two or three in the morning. I, um, I used to have a little book where I used to write all the scores down, like what I was doing. And, and you'd work out on, on all the forums. We'd all like change tips of who was the best way to do it. And we'd all like exchange them. Then we all found a way to cheat. And so I was really hoping that you had spent hours and hours Cheating. perfecting <laughs> the cheat. Well, no, no, perfecting your perfecting your javelin technique to make sure you got the exact right angle so you could throw the javelin two hundred meters. Um, oh, you could, you literally seriously, you could do two hundred meters, you could do twenty meter long jumps, and that if you worked out that how to cheat it, it was amazing. Um, it's still it's still there. I can't quite get it to work on the BBC website, but it's been put onto another website. It's been stolen off or something. So I was actually playing it last night. Um, just in preparation for this, because I thought I I get a better idea of you, really. That one of them. I I just can't. I just think how 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 conceited would that be if I was to play my own game? Do you not think that's a bit weird? No, you're joking. No, I think it's a bit weird. But I um I might let my kids play and see how they get on. I'm going to send you the link. Send me the link. And then I'll be I'll be checking back in to see whether you can beat your own score. What if I become some sort of addict? to this now you might have changed my life forever 
it's it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> Although you you won't you won't get beaten by um Gardashura or um Eunice Barber. You're going to get beaten by um the woman from Namibia and Sikits and Nevis. It's just it's just so much fun. So so much fun. I actually had to close it down last night because it was like about two o'clock in the morning. I was like, stop, turn it off now because like you've got an interview to do in the morning. Oh man. I, I do have to say, I do love the fact that so many people have played it and, and can you believe it's still going? I am really... <laughs> I know, I know. Really? Yeah. We need to put that on Wii or something. I, I 100% agree with you. Personally, I think it's your most iconic moment. It's the reason I, I love you more than anything. Um, but just wanted to say a big, big thank you for coming in to speak to us today. Um, so much fun to do this, especially as in lockdown, you know. Um, we're all finding ways to entertain ourselves and chatting to you for two hours is the most fun I can think of having. Hopefully we'll see you sometime soon, um, maybe next year now, but we'll certainly catch up in the next championships we see you at. Thanks, Bayo. You did a great job. Thank you thank so, you so much. Thank you for having me.